0: Welcome to the award-winning show Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth.
1: We returned for season six to answer the biggest question for a career military families. So when are we going to get out and everything involved with answering this question?
0: I'm Jen Amos, creator and co-host of Holding Down the Fort and a Gold Star family member and veteran spouse.
1: And I'm Jenny Lynn Stroop, co-host and chief shower-upper here on Holding Down the Fort. Together, we will converse with
0: special guests from and for our military community to share knowledge and resources and relevant stories on how we can best pull down the fort while on active duty, going through transition, and into post-military life. Now, let's get into the show. Look for community and resources the worst thing that you can do is isolate yourself when there's something that you're struggling with. A quote from Heather Kimball. From a civilian standpoint, one may assume that military families are quote unquote taken care of, but PCS moves, spouse unemployment or underemployment, growing families and unexpected expenses are some of the main factors that can cause food insecurities for military families. Thanks to Heather's background as a registered dietitian, Heather Kimball knew how to feed her family on a tight budget. When she realized that other families were also experiencing similar financial difficulties, she decided to share her knowledge, volunteer more of her time, to ultimately advocating for food insecurity. In our conversation today, Heather discusses the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2022, unspoken burdens of military families, the importance of building community, and much more. Heather, it was such a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you again so much for joining us. And I also want to take this time to thank our show sponsor, U.S. Vet Wealth. If you have been enjoying our show here at Holding on the Fort, you might be wondering, oh, are there any other shows like Holding on the Fort? And if so, I highly recommend that you check out the Spouse Benefit Plan by U.S. Vet Wealth podcast. This podcast gets into the morbid talk of the Survivor Benefit Plan, but more importantly, how to reframe the Survivor Benefit Plan by calling it, shameless plug for the podcast, The Spouse Benefit Plan. This is the kind of show that you listen to in chronological order from the very beginning. I want to mention that this is the first solo podcast I have ever done. It has definitely been a labor of love. And so far, I have been very pleased with the results of getting this show together. And ultimately, the main purpose of the show, inspired actually by Holding down the fort and all the work that I do with our colleagues at US Vet Wealth is to ultimately help career military families, particularly our military retirees and seasoned spouses, make a confident and informed decision as to whether or not they should keep or opt out of the survivor benefit plan. So, if you are in that phase in your military career where you are about to transition and something such as the survivor benefit plan pops up into your checklist of things to do, I highly recommend that you listen to the show, The Spouse Benefit Plan by U.S. Vet Wealth to get more educated and make sure that you're making a confident and informed decision about the survivor benefit plan and ultimately your financial future for post-military life. Check out the podcast now at your preferred podcasting platform or visit the website, thespousebenefitplan.com. With that said, thank you all so much for joining us and please enjoy our conversation with Heather Kimball. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode here at the award-winning podcast show Holding Down the Fort. I'm your creator and co-host, Jen Amos. And as always, I have my co-host with me who is really busy with the boys (laughs) for this season. I'm sure she'll tell us a little bit here. Jenny Lynn Stroop. Jenny Lynn, welcome back to Holding Down the Fort. Hey, glad to be here today. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you're here. I'm always glad you're here, actually. (laughs)
1: Me too. It feels like we haven't done this in forever. It's like, true. This feels like the start of a brand new season, even though we've released an episode every week since like May 1st. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's actually pretty wild. So for our listeners, we have been doing a lot of pre-interviews to get to know our guests before we do an official recording like this. And then we schedule them probably like weeks later. So there was a good time where we did Interviewing, And then we did pre-interviews and now we're back into the interviewing phase. And so even though you can't tell, <laughs> we know that it feels like it's been a while since we've actually, you know, brought someone on the show. So you're right, Jenny Lane. It does feel a little like I was like trying to kind of recall, like, how do I do interviews again? <laughs> Like even right before this call, I was like, Oh, yeah, it's been a while. But anyway, all that being said, we are really excited because we are talking about a topic on our show here at Holden on the Fort that we never have talked about, which is food insecurity. And today we are very fortunate to have our special guest today, Heather Kimball who is a freelance dietitian, also registered dietitian, and a military advocate who has been openly talking about food insecurity for military families in the last handful of years. And so without further ado, Heather, welcome to Holding Down the
2: Fort. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here today. I'm I'm excited for our conversation. This is going to be fun.
0: Yeah, definitely, especially because this is a new conversation that we're having on the show. Heather, I thought I'd start by asking you the question for people who don't know what food insecurity is. Can you start by defining what food insecurity is?
2: Yes. So food insecurity is an economic term and it's it's kind of new, but it essentially means that a family or a person doesn't have reliable means to get the food that they need to live a healthy and active lifestyle. So oftentimes when we think about people not having enough food, we think of hunger, right? We think of starving kids in Africa or in other countries, these commercials that we see. And hunger is a physiological condition. So that is the result of not having enough food. But food insecurity is an economic status. It's just not being sure that the food that you have is going to last till the next payday or that the payday is going to be able to get you enough of what you need.
0: Yeah. And I think the key thing is like, if you are having difficulty to have an active, healthy lifestyle, then that is a symptom of food insecurity is what I'm
2: hearing. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So Heather, you were recently last year in 2021, you gave an interview at the KXDF CBS News 13. And one thing that they brought up in this news clip is that in 2019, about one in eighth families struggle with food insecurity, particularly military families. But then post-pandemic, it increased to one in five military families dealing with food insecurities. And so I just have to say how much that blows my mind that our military families, the ones that are defending our country, are struggling with this. And I think from a civilian standpoint, no one would Assume that this be happening. I remember some of my friends would say like, oh, if you're in the military, like you're taking care of your stable, you know, and I know from your personal experience, Heather, part of you getting into the space is even your own personal experience with your family dealing with food insecurity. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of your personal experience in regards to tackling this issue.
2: You know, I think this this issue being surprising is so common, even to those of us who are in the military, right? We kind of know it anecdotally. We know that different families struggle, but seeing the data, actually having those numbers is really impactful. And I'm so thankful for MFAN, which is the Military Family Advisory Network, putting All of this energy and effort into getting this data because we know across the board when we're looking at research when we're looking at policy changes numbers talk right so we needed the data Mm -hmm. long before this data was available back in about 2014 2015 i left the workforce i had two kids under two and went you know was home for a deployment while while my spouse was working i was while he was gone i was going to stop working finish flipping our house have our two babies then go back to work well Then we PCS. And then I got pregnant again with our third, which was unexpected surprise, which we were excited about. But still, it wasn't in a timeline that we were financially prepared for. And I was still not working. We were in interior Alaska, where it's very expensive. We were at a remote location. There was one job for me that was 40 minutes away. So I would be driving, you know, an hour on an ice road. You think about ice road truckers that show, right? So that that highway starts in my town, it starts in Fairbanks. So I'd be driving on this ice highway to get to this job, to then drive an hour home. And my husband was already working long hours as a military family. So that would have just meant that my my babies wouldn't have seen either of their parents really at all, except for maybe an hour a day. And so we made the decision to do what was best for our family and really keep me at home. But what we didn't expect was the financial difficulty of struggling to make All of the dollars work in all the places they need to, especially because as a young college-educated family, we had student loans. And Mm -hmm. because of my husband's job, we did not qualify for any income-based repayment. We missed the WIC eligibility by $100 a month. So we were just in this sweet spot where it was very difficult and we really had to get creative with the way that we provided for our family. Thankfully, I'm a pediatric trained dietitian, So I know how to feed families well, I know how to feed them on a tight budget. And I was able to sort of blend this experience that I had and this expertise that I had, and figure out how to make it work for my family. But while I was in this season, I found more and more families that were also going through this other college educated, working or wish to be working families that for one reason or another, We're in a season of financial difficulty. And so I started sharing what I knew with them. And then it turned into volunteering. And then it turned into advocating. And now it's kind of snowballed into this whole thing of, you know, it's been my world for a couple of years now. Now we have data that support it, thankfully. But to me, it's still so surprising when I come across people in our community who Don't realize this is happening. And, you know, it's something I've been living for so long. I'm like, how do you not know that this is happening? And MFAN, that same organization that has the data, they just put out on June 1st their causal factors for food insecurity. So they said, okay, this Mm. is happening to military families. Why is this happening? Because just like you said, we think that military families are well taken care of, right? Where's the gap? How is this happening? So they found four main factors when they looked into their population group. One being military family had a recent PCS. Two being spouse employment, either underemployment or unemployment. Military families struggle with spouse unemployment at 10 times the national average of unemployment. So it's a significant problem. Another reason they found families were struggling was they recently grew their family. So either through adoption, foster care birth grew their family by another family member. And the fourth one was unexpected expenses. So we have this community that's barely getting by and then they have an expensive car repair or a home repair or you're moving and your house is $500 over your housing allowance and you are paying out of pocket. So all of these things come together to create this perfect storm. And one thing I loved about this data that they just put out, and I I told my contact over there that I was in tears listening to this this reveal mm. of all of this data because that year that we really struggled, you guys, we had all of these. I had mm. just left the workforce. We had three kids mm-hmm. under four. We had unexpected expenses of winterizing vehicles and getting literal gear to survive in Alaska. It's, it's a whole new thing up here. It's thousands of dollars to get what you need to function. And we had just PCS'd OCONUS. And seeing that data laid out really sort of gave me that validation that we weren't doing anything wrong. We weren't mm-hmm. we weren't living mm-hmm. extravagant lives. We weren't driving new cars. We didn't have car payments. We really had one of those causal factors, but we had all four in about an 18-month period. So this is something I experienced as a junior officer family. So I know that it's happening. I see it in my community. And it's something that the more that we understand it, the better we can start identifying ways to support these families and also make policy changes to sort of create a safety net so this doesn't happen
0: yeah. and you know, in addition to that, I know we were talking about this in our pre-interview that maybe even part of why most families don't know about this is they don't want to talk about it, especially with our service members and kind of the lower lower ranks. Mm-hmm. And interesting enough, I did find a stat from the National Military Family Association that had stated, that 14% of families that rank between E1 and E6, tell us that they visited a food bank in the last 12 months. So it's just really interesting that, I mean, first, there's the stoicism. And therefore, Mm -hmm. maybe there's a general sense of shame to even talk about it. So it's like, we're all silently struggling with this food Mm -hmm. insecurity. And so I think it's amazing and validating to have the stats to have this information, and to know that you and your family are not alone in this.
2: Absolutely. And that's, that is one of the hard things, especially for us as a young officer family. There was an expectation that above and beyond, we were well taken care of. And we should be able to, a lot of times when you go to events um, as an officer family, you buy your own tickets to something and you're expected to buy a second set of tickets to sponsor um, maybe an enlisted member. Well, here we were with a mortgage worth of student debt. We were barely getting by and we were expected to pay not only the top dollar that anything could be, could cost, right? A lot of times, a tier pricing so we're expected to pay the top dollar but then to buy a second set and so uh those conversations weren't happening we didn't feel Mm -hmm. like we had anywhere that we could turn and say hey we're not driving new cars and we're not going on expensive vacations but we're still really struggling because there was this and there still is this old school of thought of it must be financial mismanagement it must be something that you're doing we've provided you must have the mistake you must be the problem well For us specifically, the problem was student loans. Once those were finally paid off, life got a lot easier. But that was a decision of ours. That's something that not every military family had. And we expected me to be working with my loans and not you know, at home in the dark Arctic. So I know that if those conversations were difficult for me to have, they're not happening at lower levels, especially when it comes to going to your first sergeant, going to your commanders, going to some of those command tied um, individuals. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fear of retribution, fear of investigation for finances, and that can affect your security clearance. It can affect your job. So people are just suffering in silence.
0: Mm. Yeah. Ooh. Real talk. Jenny Lynn, just wanted to check in with you, see if you had any thoughts.
1: Oh, man. I mean, listening to Heather share those like four main reasons for food insecurity reminds me so much of like those. I I think there's like a top five list of like top five stressors. You know, the first one being like death of a family member, the second one being a move. And I just listened to her share, you know, PCSing, lack of spouse employment, adding a family member, unexpected expense, thinking... At some point or another in military life, (laughs) we've experienced all of those in combination or any number of them as a combination of one to four, you know, and how that's impacted the decisions we made as a family, you know, much like Heather, we were a very young officer family when I stopped teaching and we added another family member. And I remember... I don't know that I ever would have used the terms food insecurity. But when I think back and go, yeah, but I was trying to budget for like $100 a week and find coupons and do the thing and like making a game out of like stacking coupons and going to five grocery stores. And, you know, and I lived in an area where that was possible, not in interior Alaska. I lived where I could go to five different stores and do the thing like It's phenomenal to me that you know more people don't talk about it because I'm sure I wasn't the only one playing that game. And also, I always couched it as a game. Like I, I can you know, on Facebook um, memories or whatever. You know, every now and again, a thing will pop up, and it's like I got all this for fifty five dollars and sixty cents or whatever. And so it it was a game, but it was really like a game because it had to be because we were a single income family, and at that point. You know, Matthew was T D Y or T A D or one of those temporary assigned duties. So we were essentially supporting two households. You know, it wasn't a PCS, but we were supporting two separate living costs. And that was really hard. Um, and added to that.
2: It is. And, you know, I think one thing in, in full clarity is post-pandemic, especially with the current economic situation, it's not just military that are pinching pennies, right? We're I live 40 minutes from town, so I'm not going to town socially, right? I went last week for an appointment, a checkup, and I told my kids, okay, guys, I've got to figure out the meal plan while we're in town because we're getting groceries because I drove 40 minutes. You know, it's between an eighth of a tank and a quarter of a tank of gas to drive 40 minutes there and 40 minutes back. Like, you better believe we're going to the grocery store while we're here. Sorry, y'all. I know you got to sit through mom's appointment. I know you have to go to Costco and to the grocery store with me but that's what we're doing. And so all families are feeling that pinch at the gas tank, at the gas pump. We're feeling that pinch with groceries. We're seeing supply shortages. So to know that post-pandemic numbers nationwide are one in seven families. So those are at an all-time high. But to know that military is still even above and beyond that with one in five, it's like, okay, now we can kind of have a conversation that everybody understands. We all get it. But to know that military families are still sort of up up another level is is difficult to have those conversations of no we thought we were well taken care of too we don't understand why we're struggling either yeah
0: i think in an odd way it feels reassuring that this is a like a universal issue mm. and that you know we're not alone although in my opinion i feel like military families should be taking care of of, of, any, <laughs> of anyone else that's just me <laughs> you know heather I, i'm learning a lot from this conversation and even just my own research like offline to just recognize how real food insecurity is and i didn't know so much and didn't even take the time to study until we have this conversation today so i'm just really happy that you're here today to you know bring more awareness not just to me but to our community and even on the show now with everything that we know now in regards to what we have mentioned like the stats and everything i think the next natural question is what is being done right now and i know that right now we have something called the national defense authorization act for fiscal year 2022 So tell us a little bit about that, Heather, and what that means for military families today.
2: So the National Defense Authorization Act, or the NDAA, is what the government, it's what Congress uses every year to determine spending, which includes military spending. And it renews every year, right? So when we hear about like, oh, people might get furloughed, or the military might not be funded, it's because they're still fighting over the things in this bill, right, of what they're going to include. So Fiscal year turns over October 1st. We usually have an approved plan by like January. So we kind of are just winging it for a couple months typically. Um, it's turned into a very political issue, which is frustrating because, you know, that that means that things that are important are being left off because of political differences. Yeah. But currently, the newest one, the one that we are operating on now in fiscal year 2022 does include a little bit of a pay raise. So every year the military and social security, all government entities that are getting pay, get a little bit of a raise, right? So it's, I think this year was 2.6 or 2.7%. The military on January 1st got a little bit of a raise which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Inflation in 2021 was 14.1. So far in 2022, at the end of second quarter, we're up another 6 to 7%. So great, we got a 2.6% raise, inflation's up 20%. So it's definitely not keeping up with that. The NDAA also determines our BAH, so our Housing allowance. It determines Mm -hmm. our pay. And one thing they just included in fiscal year 2022 is called a basic needs allowance. And it's designed to sort of stand in that gap of, hey, if you qualify for WIC, if you qualify for food stamps, if you qualify for some of these low income support services, we're going to give you supplemental money. The difficult part is there's no guidance to implement it. And the eligibility currently still includes your housing allowance. So where you might not qualify um, or you might qualify somewhere like Alabama with a lower cost of living. So your housing Mm -hmm. allowance is lower. You move to, say, Washington, D.C., and now you don't qualify because you're getting more of a housing allowance. But that housing allowance, if you think of, you know... Dave Ramsey's a, a popular financial expert, and he talks about like an envelope method, you know, everything's in a different envelope. So if you think about the housing allowance being in the housing envelope, that's not in the food envelope or the eating out envelope or the leisure envelope, that's in the housing envelope. So my housing envelope changed, but that's not actually available for the rest of my household.
0: Mm hmm. And mm-hmm. so
2: that's one of the difficulties that we see currently in the NDAA, and we're still waiting on guidance for that for the Department of Defense, is how to sort of step in financially and have this allowance while we wait for better pay, while we wait for higher housing allowance, while we wait for some of these other things. That, that's sort of where we are in the NDAA right now.
0: Yeah. And I was I was actually reading a little bit about this on the National Military Family Association. And it's really just what you said, like getting into the specifics, like what areas will count as a high cost? How long will it take from application to decision? How much is BAH? So it just seems like, yes, it's great that we kind of made a dent. But now how does that get implemented? So I'm really curious to hear how that plays out. And of course, Heather, if you happen to come across any updates on that, like articles, like feel free to send that to us so we can put that in the show Notes of this episode, absolutely. For our service members at the rank of E7, E8, E9, O5, and O6, it's a fact that you've invested decades to earn your military pension. At US Fit Wealth, we ensure that you don't wait another twenty years for your second retirement. We do this by showing you how to privatize your military retirement pay. However, you want the next chapter of your life to look like, whether it's getting that supplementary paycheck because you want to work, not because you have to, start a business, or you know what? Take a break before figuring out your next career or adventure. Privatizing your military pension will give you the ability to decide what autonomy, impact, and work-life balance looks like for you in post-military life. Download our free white papers today titled Navigate Your Retirement Pay and Survivor Benefit Plan Alternatives to learn more. Again, these white papers are really case studies for the following ranks, E7, E8, e 90 05, and 0 06. And once again, are available to download for free. No email opt-in necessary at usvetwealth.com. That's U-S-V-E-T-W-E-A-L-T-H dot com.
1: Jenny Lynn, just want to check in with you, see if you had any thoughts. I mean, I was thinking about that inflation thing and everything being based on BAH. You know, we were grateful to move from an area with extraordinarily high cost of living to a much lower cost of living. But as I continue to like watch the spouse pages from different groups, like BAH isn't even making a dent these days in actual housing, Mm -hmm. much less like being able to be used in a different envelope, as Heather put it, Like, it in many places isn't even covering the rent, much less the other actual housing needs like water and electricity that it's theoretically that it's technically supposed to cover like it's supposed to actually cover your basic housing needs not cable not your telephone but like to run a household it's supposed to cover those things and it's in many places not even touching the actual cost of living in a house like just renting or owning you know so to think that we have this like Pot of money out there to be accessed because they know it's a need and still have those stipulations like that is really hard. I mean, we've lived, gosh, we moved from like one super high cost of living area to another. And it was fascinating because when we were stationed in Manhattan, you know, the first thing everybody said was, oh my gosh, your BAH is great. Well, yeah, that BAH. Covered 900 square feet of a walk-up apartment in a shitty area of town. Like, if you were going to actually live next to your duty station. So we lived an hour outside. Mm. Like, you know, and then incurred travel costs. Those aren't part of your BAH. They're not reimbursable. You know, and then when we were leaving New York City to move to San Diego, people were like, oh, man, housing. And I was like, it can't be worse than New York. Like, it really can't. And it wasn't except that because it's such a large, you know, military area, the BAH didn't actually cover <laughs> the rise out there. I mean, like Heather stated, you know, inflation's up twenty percent. Like our our BAH didn't match what the cost of a house was and there isn't enough housing to put people in. I mean, not even the housing wait was 18 months when we moved there on 10 month orders. So, you know, it's kind of all these things that play into that. And then, you know, in addition to those bills, like it's great that that covers DOD, but we also have the Coast Guard not covered under all the DOD stuff who are, you know, affected in different ways. Like, <laughs> when they didn't get funded for several weeks, you know, a couple pay periods. Was that in the beginning of 19, I think? I think I so. Mm-hmm. Uh, 18 or 19. And I remember just seeing all of this like vitriol online about, well, they should have planned for them. I'm like, nobody should have planned to like, <laughs> not get a paycheck when they're actually like, serving the country. And furthermore, like the four things Heather stated, PCS, lack of spouse employment, like you know, the way that those rack and stack in people's lives goes completely unnoticed. And, you know, I took a look at it and like, went through, I think I use like E5, you know, I was like, okay, mid range, lower enlisted, like, we're not at the bottom, we're not at the top, like, and went through like, what it would cost if their spouse wasn't employed in San Diego. And when I was like, You're left over after you pay for your basic needs. You've got maybe two hundred bucks. But let's say you have two kids and they want to play baseball, or they want to do just those natural like, or they need diapers or formula. Like, there's two hundred bucks. It's gone. Yeah. Like, and I was even like, they're like, they should do something with the extra. I'm like, it cost me two hundred and fifty dollars a kid to play baseball. Like, Hmm. so you're 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 then asking people like not to do those things, and it's like. Those are hard choices. And then you add in an unexpected thing, you know, like for us, it was we had just PCS'd, we hadn't been reimbursed. And my husband's grandmother died, and he had to get on a plane back to Michigan. And the choice for us was we didn't all go because we couldn't afford it. Couldn't afford it. Just he went. And it's like you're asking people to constantly make these like hard life decisions on whether or not you're going to pay your bills or go to a funeral or, you know. move your stuff. I mean, this summer, gosh, we haven't even touched this summer in PCS season about the people coming out of pocket because there aren't enough moving companies out there. Like, it's, and it's just that cycle.
2: It's so crazy. And then, you know, even with BAH, it's designed to cover 95% of the cost of an apartment. It's not mm-hmm. even designed to cover 100%. And it's not designed to cover a, a single family home. It is designed for you to live in an apartment. So I hope you don't have dogs. I hope you don't have loud kids. I hope you like apartment living. Um, those things are all no's for me. We The Campbells are allowed people. Um, I have loud kids. <laughs> I have a dog. Um, and apartment living doesn't go well for us. So that means, oh, well, you want to live in a house and an apartment, well, that's on you. And all of these um, financial stressors, don't forget, the new retirement system for the military requires you to pay in your own money. So out of all of this same money that's not paying for housing, it's not paying for diapers, it's not paying for food, by the way, fund your own retirement, best of luck. And (laughs) not only is it causing difficulty for our military families now, but it is keeping them from future financial stability from being able to do things like fund a retirement. Um, Thankfully for us, we grandfathered into the old blended retirement system or not blended retirement system, the old system where it's the high three and and sort of the pension model. But all of that Mm -hmm. said, because of student debt, because of having children young, we just started retirement accounts. Like I'm going to be 36 this summer. And we just started retirement accounts because we just didn't have the money. And you hear from people, well, you should be funding it and you should be doing this. I'm like, with what money? All of our money Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. for student debt or for, um, diapers and and then you do want to have your children not miss out on things. So you do want them to play baseball and you try to do it maybe through your military installation where it's it's cheaper or you try mm-hmm. one thing that happened, you know, talking about kids, we we PCS from here, my kid had to be five when we lived here before had to be five for baseball on base. And he'd been waiting. He was two when we moved here. He waited all three years, our very last spring. He's five. He's stoked. Well in Alaska, you have a gazillion feet of snow, so the baseball season doesn't really start until May. We left in April. We moved to uh-huh. Alabama. Mm-hmm. Well, in Alabama, the baseball season is done by May because you'll have a heat stroke. So um, we he missed baseball season. He had been asking for years, and we just we mm-hmm. left before one started, and we got to our new location mm-hmm. after it ended. And those are typical things. So then you're you're trying to find ways to still keep stability, still keep normalcy for your family, mm-hmm. for your children, um, and then also shouldering all these burdens, deciding whether or not you can afford to go home. We on more than one occasion have flown family members to us and said, no, M- mom and dad, can we please buy your two plane tickets? Will you guys come see us? Because buying two tickets is so much easier than five. Please let me buy you a ticket. Please come here. And these are just real things. When you're in the mm-hmm. military community, you can have these conversations that everybody you talk to, they just get it, right? Like, oh my gosh, yes. And, and you can have these conversations mm-hmm. and you go talk to a civilian counterpart. They're like, wait, hang on. And and you got to give all of sort of this backstory. So that's why I love that we're doing this in this episode and talking about food insecurity, talking about some of these unspoken, Mm -hmm. I guess, burdens that military families are carrying that aren't necessarily linked to a a family member being deployed or a training accident or any of those really visible newsworthy things, right? These are still burdens and stressors that are causing chronic stress in our lives.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate getting into these fine details of what military families go through, because just like what you said, it's like from a civilian standpoint, it's like, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And it's like, well, I do a lot already, you know, like there's so many layers to living this life that our civilian counterparts can't truly understand unless they really hear in detail. So I am really grateful for us to, you know, like I said, talk about this in detail and really just bringing light to this. And there's a part of me that's kind of like, you know, how do we end on a positive note? Because there's still a lot. I mean, I don't want to end on a positive note and dismiss like everything we talked about, you Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. But I do know that one of the main messages you want to share with our audience, Heather, is that, you know, the truth is that, you know, anything that we're going through, there are resources and ways to get help and support. And part of it is just acknowledging that there's a problem. So can you elaborate more on that?
2: Yes. So. Wherever you are, you know, listeners, if you have an opportunity to serve, whether at a food bank or whether to maybe you go to a church or you're in different community organizations, reach out, first of all, to those military members. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. We were in a duty location for three years, but it was a training base. So lots of people came for 10 or 12 months at a time. And there was sort of this. Um, mindset that they were like a subculture and they stuck with each other Mm -hmm. and all the people who come for training just hang out with each other and don't plug into the community and, and we're not going to invest in them because they're not going to stay and we were there for three years so we made lots of civilian friends and we have asked them as we left i talked to one at the beginning of last fall and she said we met this great this great family our sons are in the same class but they're military they're moving in may and i said love them anyway include them bring them to dinner include them in your your annual christmas party but find those military members within your community find them within your church within your boy scouts within your sports teams wherever it is that you're plugged in find those military members and build community with them whether it's for six months or Mm ten months or six years build that community and help them feel included but that also for us as military families gives us resources when when you're stuck at the car shop and your car supposed to be done and it's not and you've got to get your kid from school now I have someone I can call and say hey Jenny Lynn so I'm still stuck here can you pick up my boys or or one time I I called another spouse and said hey I got to go get my preschool kid and I know that your kids are in elementary school and they're at school all day and your preschooler goes all day will you come get me at the car shop and take me to get my son at preschool and then just bring us all back here and it was a military spouse of course she Got nothing out. She's like, yeah, I'm on my way. I'll be there in 10 minutes. And so finding those members and, and finding ways that you can build community so that we have an avenue to ask for help within mm-hmm. your community, mm-hmm. finding your food bank, finding different support services, every location is different, the bigger the city, the more support services. So lots of opportunities to give back. And if you're in a small location, maybe a remote location, like I am, find what is available and help amplify it, mm-hmm. donate to your food bank, help connect them to families, go pack food boxes, um, help sort clothes at a clothing donation, find any way that you can help support your community if you are in a military location. If you're not, there's lots of different organizations that you can donate to to help them fund the things that they're doing for the community. So a quick Google search will bring up, I don't know, probably 50 different nonprofits that you can make tax deductible donations to that align with the things that are important to you. We have nonprofits mm-hmm. that address food insecurity, that address widows, that address lost family members, that address LGBTQ communities community issues we have some that advocate for voting there there's so many organizations available finding a way mm-hmm. to Have that sort of pocket of people that believe the same thing you do, that are working towards the same things and support them either locally or financially is really the best way to kind of start making an impact and then get these issues to the Congress floor, get these issues into these bills, get these issues in front of Department of Defense and I think Coast Guard is Homeland Security, but but -hmm. getting it in front of these leaders to say, hey, here's issues that you're not seeing at the leadership level, but we need to find a a solution for these. So the more that we talk about them and, and find ways to connect and support the better we're mm-hmm. going to be I like how you mentioned like giving back
0: because I think that in general we all know to give and to donate but I think what we did today was really humanize who we're donating and giving to so I do mm-hmm. really appreciate all the tips to wrap up this conversation
1: I think that was a great of course here on the show we're big on community and and we're big on not just military to military but military to civilian like chances are <laughs> there are more civilians in your town. Even if you live in a big old Navy town like I do, there's still more civilians here than there are military. And it is, you know, connecting with them and talking with them and hearing their story about how they've lived in that house their whole life as much as you've lived in 14 houses in the last five years. Like, it's the sharing of those stories and the letting people know, you know, I think about the work that I do in outreach for mental health and people are constantly, oh, you know, you know like the first reaction is, Oh, and then they want to know more. How did you get involved with that? Why does this matter to you? And I think all of those things are super important to bringing a community together. And I'm glad that we have a space here on this show to not only let you know our listeners who are largely military families know about the resources available and the things that affect them, but you know also bring in our civilian counterparts and go, hey, these are some things we're facing like Can you join us? Will you be part of our community?
0: Yeah. And the reality is, you know, military families were embedded in civilian communities. And, you know, a lot of civilians know a service member, know a veteran, know a spouse. Like, it's not like we're just put in the base and like left there. (laughs) And so to be able to like you know, acknowledge that even like it's mm-hmm. actually it actually gets me to think about like my new church and how there's like such a mix of like civilian and military people. And one thing I always appreciate about the pastor when he starts is he says, before I begin, I just want to give a shout out to our military families who are watching this, you know, virtually, you know, give them yeah. a round of applause. Mm-hmm. And I just love how you can be in the same place, but understand that there are so many different types of people within that same space, civilian and mm-hmm. and our military families and service members and veterans. And so just recognize recognizing that when you help our military family, you help, it causes a ripple effect. Heather, before we talk a little bit more about ways for people to get a hold of you or any other resources, are there any final thoughts that you want to share to our listeners today?
2: I would just like to share that if there's anything that you have gone through listeners, whether you're a military family or not, whether you've struggled with food insecurity. One difficulty in my current location is mental health access. That's something Jenny Lynn and I have talked offline about, and she's been able to help point me towards resources for my own family, but also that I can share in my community. So Mm -hmm. any of those things don't necessarily mean weakness. They don't mean weakness Mm. for the person who needs the help. It doesn't mean weakness for the people who are advocating. It doesn't mean any of that. If you're struggling to make ends meet with your bills, if you're struggling with your mental health, your physical health, all of those things are valid stressors and valid concerns. And it's nice to now start having a space specifically with food insecurity, what I work in, where we do feel validated. And we can Mm -hmm. speak about this, because there's been so many of us, you know, even Jenny Lynn said, when they were a young family, there's so many of us that have gone through it and felt very isolated and very alone. So if there is something that you are struggling with, find that community, find the people advocating for you find the people experiencing it, find the resources, because the worst thing that you can do is isolate yourself and try to weather any kind of storm alone. That's where you're going to be prey for uh, really, really negative spirals. I have been there. I have been in a difficult mental state through this season that I went through. So I would just say, if there's something that you're going through, look for those resources, look for community Mm -hmm. and just know that it doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it alone or that it's any fault of your own. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that. There was this
0: one movie I was watching. I think it was Concussion with Will Smith. There was a line in there that stood out to me. I had to write it down. And he said, a need is a need. Like a need is not weak. It's just a need. Mm -hmm. And if you need something, (laughs) it's okay to ask for it. Like there's no reason to be ashamed or to, you know, be stoic about it. Like a need is a need. Heather, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Let us know how our listeners can get a hold of you or any other resources you want to share in case people want to learn more about this.
2: Yes, the easiest way to find me is going to be on Instagram. My public page is Glory Nutrition. So if you just type it all, one word, Glory Nutrition, um, picture of my face pops up, which is kind of weird because I am in the business of helping people. So it's weird to see, you know, like my own face on something. <laughs> uh, but my face will pop up, Glory Nutrition. You can also find me under that same handle on Facebook. So those are my two public pages. There's the links um, on both of those to be able to email me, direct message me. And in some emergency situations, I've had people track down my phone number. Just this past couple of days, I've had a handful of families reach out to me for connection with the food bank and how to get Mm. food in the immediate to feed their families and how they got my number. I don't really care, but they track it down. (laughs) So my information is definitely out there, but starting on those public Mm -hmm. pages are the best way to find me.
0: Perfect. Well, Heather, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Um, Lynn, any final thoughts from you?
1: Oh, no. Thanks so much for coming out. I'm so glad you brought up that the people reaching out. I saw that on LinkedIn just this morning. It was like, oh, yay. And I'm sure they totally went through the Military Spouse Network because let's be honest, where do we get our information?
2: (laughs) It's true. For those of you who are military spouses who are listening, the Military Spouse Network, any active duty member who's been married to an involved spouse for any length of time can vouch for it it is where things happen. And uh, I, uh-huh. one time my husband texted me and said, I need so-and-so's number. He's not at his office. Um, he was doing important things and, and had people visiting the base and was doing stuff and, and needed this person's number. And the timestamps between when he asked me for this person's number and when I texted the wife, got the number, texted my husband back was three minutes. You guys, it was three minutes. To- <laughs> so wow. yeah, the spouse network is um, very active. That can be good and can be bad, but mostly I see it used for good.
1: Mm-hmm. Same. I
0: love it. With that said, Heather, it's been such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for joining us. And I know our listeners will get a lot of value from our conversation. If you want to get a hold of Heather, we'll provide her contact information in the show notes. And other than that, thank you all so much for joining us. We'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Thanks again for joining us at Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. Once again, I am your co host, Jen Amos. And I'm Jenny Lynn Stroop. Thank you so much for listening to our show.
1: If you've gotten a lot out of our conversation today, be sure to leave us a five star rating review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Or you can leave us a kind LinkedIn recommendation on our LinkedIn profiles. Learn more about Holding Down the Fort by visiting holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. And there you'll also be able to find us on social media and how to contact us directly. Thank you all so much for joining us. Until next time.